Have you ever asked the question, why am I here? It's quite likely some of you are asking that question during the whole of the last two minutes when we were showing that video. The question, why am I here? And, and, and I actually don't necessarily mean, why am I here this morning? Although I'm actually going to get to that. I don't even mean the question, why am I here on this planet? Although I, I suggest you try and get some sense of an answer to that. Why am I here on this planet? And by the way, I'm going to touch on that briefly this morning as well. But, but I want to ask the question, have you ever asked the question, why am I in this current season of my life? Particularly when you're being stretched. Have you ever been in, that, in, in, in a stretching time and while you're being stretched, it hasn't been clear to you why, and then, and then it causes you to ask the question, why am I here? Why am I, why am I in this set of circumstances? Why am I in this situation? Why am I in this season of stretching? And this morning, I, in fact, w- want to speak to people in particular who, who have come through a season of stretching and find yourself in another season of stretching. You know, just when you thought, it was over, the stretching, and you could relax and sit back with the drink with the umbrellas, you'll find yourself in another season of stretching. And you're asking yourself the question, why am I here in this next season of stretching? Well, here's the thing. Let me give you a little bit of a preview. We've just entered the spring racing carnival here in Australia. And in a couple of weeks' time, there'll be the Melbourne Cup, the race that stops the nation. And I'm almost certain one of the things you're going to hear is a commentator when the horses round the final bend say uh, to, the, to the, the listening public, they've entered the final stretch. You will never hear God say that to you, that you've entered the final stretch. As long as there is breath in your lungs, God has another stretch ready for you ready for us. This morning, I want to unpack a story that I've actually preached out of on multiple occasions, and some of you have heard me preach on multiple occasions, but I want to unpack it in a very different way this morning, a very new way. And by the way, it's one of the reasons, don't think of the Bible as a book that you read cover to cover, you find out how it ended, you put it on the shelf, and it's a dust collector. God's Word is living and breathing, and you come back and reading again and again and again, and God's got new revelation, new life, new wisdom. And so this is a story that you may have uh, been familiar with. As I said, I've certainly preached it on m- m- more than one occasion. It's a story about the nation of Israel. God had led them out of slavery in Egypt. He led them through the wilderness uh, over a 40-year period of time. It wouldn't have taken 40 years if they'd done what God asked them to do, but they didn't. They took it into their own hands, their own wisdom. So what should have been a reasonably short distance and duration took 40 years. But eventually, they made their way, led by God, into the land of promise. And they've been living in the land of promise for some time. They heard that their neighbors were worshiping a God named Baal, a different God. In fact, Baal was the Phoenician rain God. And so the Israelites 
decided that they're going to maybe stop following the one true God, the God that had led them out of slavery through the wilderness into the land of promise, stop following him and, 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 and do a bit of a me too approach to life. Copy what the neighbors are doing. And decided to start praying to, to Baal for rain instead of God. And God didn't like that very much. God's a jealous God. God doesn't like anyone else on his throne. And then this happened. Elijah, the Tishbite, from among the settlers of Gilead, confronted Ahab. Now, Ahab was the king at that time. And in fact, uh, history would show that he was the most despicable king of Israel that ever lived. Elijah confronted him, which is not good career advice to get in front of the, the, the most wicked, sinister, evil king that there ever was in the nation of Israel and start telling the king what he's doing wrong. It's got some kahunis, this boy, Elijah. As surely as God lives, Elijah said, the God of Israel, before who I stand in obedient service, the next years are going to see a total drought. Not a drop of dew or rain unless I say otherwise. That's pretty strong faith to think that you somehow have control over the shower head of heaven, right? And to be telling that the, 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 the king, the wicked king, that big mistake you guys have made, turning away from the one true God and, and trying to get your su supply of water in an agricultural nation from Baal, guess what? My God's gonna one-up you. He's gonna turn the shower head off and he's gonna do it at my command. Well, then God told Elijah... Get out of here and fast. Head east out of the Kerith Ravine on the other side of the Jordan River. You'll drink from the brook and I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. You'll see two very important words in this little bit of instruction from God. Get out of here. I want you to remember that, the word here, and go there. Real simple. Get out of here. And go there. Because God, for some reason, didn't want Elijah at that moment to have to experience the consequences of the drought that he was about to send. Now, before I talk about Elijah, we could read that and on the surface think that God bringing drought to the nation of Israel, his chosen nation, was an act of cruelty. But in fact, it was an act of love. Because God will often dethrone the thing that you've come to depend on because he knows it's ultimately going to fail you. And so instead of waiting for that thing that you've come to depend on to fail you, God stages an intervention, dethrones the thing you've come to depend on to remind us that it's him and him alone that we should depend on. God shut the sky in order to open the heavens. I also want us to really get clear on one thing before we move on. Not every drought comes from the devil. So God instructed Elijah to move from here to there, to a secret stream, to a place of provision. And one of the things that we can sometimes do, us clever humans, when God asks us to move from here to there, is we start peppering him with questions. We want details before we take the first step. How far is it to there? 
How long will it take us to get there? Are we there yet? The question every parent loves to hear coming from the back seat on a road trip to the store. And God doesn't always answer that. Because the distance between here and there isn't measured in kilometers. It's measured in obedience. We don't have to know the details. We have to trust God. We have to follow God. We have to obey God. It's not about how far we're willing to travel. It's about how much we're willing to obey. And the instructive thing as well is to understand that halfway there, fueled by half obedience, isn't where God's place of provision is. There's no secret stream halfway there. There's no ravens who do home deliveries halfway there. That God calls for full obedience, regardless of how far it is. The distance is measured in full obedience. So true to form, Elijah obeyed God's orders, not suggestions, orders, instruction. He went and camped in the Kirith Kenyon on the other side of the Jordan. He went there, there to where God called him to go. There's a lot of applications to this. One of the most important, if not the most important application is about here, a church, your church, our church. A couple of decades ago, there, there was kind of two uh, categories of Christians. There was the local church people who typically would attend a church near them, uh, may have been a church that was in their neighborhood, uh, may have also been a church that they, they grew up in or their parents grew up in or there was some kind of historical affinity. Um, and then there was another category of Christians, the ones that serve God by, by going there overseas typically and typically to developing countries. And we called them missionaries. So you had the local church attenders and the overseas missionaries. And, and neither of these categorizations are biblical perspectives. Neither of these categorizations are, are how God would have us live as followers of Jesus. He would have us all live as missionaries. Some of us called there, sure, but some of us here is there. And John Hughes famously says, choose your dealer before you choose your car. I famously say, choose your church before you choose everything else. If you're already married, I ain't suggesting you shift relationships. What I'm saying is that God has a there for us, a church, and it might not be the closest church to where you live. It might not be the church you grew up in. And by the way, can I also say, I'm not about to give you advice of how to leave Elevate Church. What I'm about to say is about getting more planted. Understand that here is there. That when God calls us to a church, He calls us there and choose your church before you choose everything else. Louis and I have been doing this for decades, two decades. Chose our church, felt God called us there to a church just down the road called Riverview Church. 20 years ago, we were just dating Felt God called us there. And so we oriented our entire lives around there. We went there. 
we bought, uh, we, we, got, we got married, uh, and the first place that uh, we rented was there, was walking distance from there. And we did that very deliberately. We were paying $150 a week rent, which 20 years ago was a lot of money, um, or 18 years ago. It's, look, it's you that's meant to keep count. It's a woman's job. Um, all right, it's coming up in 18 years, sweetheart, January 3. Brace yourself. Um, it's going to be a big celebration. Um, 18 years ago, we got a rental, $150 a week. This old, cantankerous house, walking distance from Riverview Church building. And we did that because we wanted to be there. We wanted to be all in, deeply planted. So we, we, we got this rental house, old rental house. It had an outhouse. Some of, you, some, of you have no, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say that, but many of you do. This house had an outhouse. Now, here's the thing. Some of you that know what I'm saying, it's a, it's a dunny out the back, okay, that all year round, no matter what time of the day or night that you feel the, the, the need to do your business, you had to go outside, travel a distance, to, and then you had to sit there. Now, here's the thing. Louis likes her creature comforts. An outhouse has more creatures than it does comforts. <laughs> Living there was a sacrifice. Living there came at a price. <laughs> Things went bump in the night and Louis went scream in the night, okay? But we lived there because we wanted to be there, deeply planted at Riverview Church. It wasn't a coincidence. We didn't just live in, we, we lived in the, in the daftest location in many respects. Um, after a couple of years of, uh, of marriage, which for the bulk of that, we'd actually lived, we'd actually worked full time at the church for no pay. So we hadn't, uh, for two years, we hadn't earned, um, we, we lived by faith. We still live by faith. It's a funny thing to say, we live by faith. Hopefully we're all living by faith, but we didn't have a salary, uh, you know, alongside our faith. We just had the faith. <laughs> and uh, we did that for two years because God, we, no, that's not for everyone, but God, called us to do that. And, and so we lived there so we could work there and, and go all in. And, and this was normal to us 18 years ago. And, and by the way, it's normal to us today. We uh, somehow cobbled together a few rubles and were able to, to buy our first place. Um, now, we didn't have many rubles, uh, but a few. And um, we, we put an offer on a, on a place. The asking price on this place was $115,000. And uh, we made a bold and cheeky offer, $112,000. And they accepted it. Suckers. $112,000. Now, here's the thing. You and I know that ain't going to get you much in, in, in Australia these days. Um, but back then, about 18 years ago, we could have got maybe a nice new homestart-ish kind of three-by-one in uh, Alkamos. I don't know where Alkamos is. Uh, or Yanchep or, you know, us and the kangaroos. Or so. I don't know. We, we could have got something. But, 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 but we chose our church before, well, in fact, God chose our church. We chose that and then chose where we were going to live. So we moved two blocks from where we were renting to... Uh, a two-by-one, 72-square-meter apartment with an indoor toilet uh, 
72 square meter apartment um, in a block of 28. Uh, we called the, the, the block, we called it the Bronx. And uh, we had an upstairs apartment, uh, uh, bright orange Laminex bench tops, the original ones, with matching, or not matching, complementing, uh, sunburst, swirly orange shag pile, no sheep were shorn to make this particular fiber carpet, uh, all original. See, when a real estate agent says to you, you'd love it, it's all original, that's not always a good selling point. It was all original, 72 square meters, and, uh, and we live there. Uh, no air conditioning, and hot air rises. We had an upstairs apartment, hot air rises. Uh, the, the 1970s architect, they hadn't heard of this concept called cross-ventilation. So um, we, didn't have, we, were, we, were, we were living uh, still on very uh, low wage. I think that, that Riverview had started paying me by that stage 50 bucks a week. So, mate, I was rolling in it. And uh, so we didn't have any money. Uh, when it got hot in the summer, which, you know, occasionally it did in Perth, uh, we would, we would uh, walk one block to the local McDonald's, corner of Burwick Street and Canning Highway, walk there. We'd split a 50-cent cone, uh, ice cream cone, cone uh, and, uh, and hang on a second. Yeah, what are you laughing? What are you even laughing at? Well, I don't know what that means. And, um, and oh, it was 30 cents back then. Oh, 30 cents. Yeah, Steve, Steve's like, he was like four years old back then, but he knew the price of a Macca's cone. Good boy. So, uh, so we'd split that and we'd sit and we'd sit and read the, the, the woman's stupid woman's weekly magazines and so on because it was air conditioned. And we'd sit there for three hours, really, really taking our time over this 30 cent cone uh, because it was air conditioned. And, um, but we lived there so that we could be there at Riverview all in. Uh, I'm a pretty light sleeper. And uh, living in the upstairs apartment, I would very regularly get woken up about one, two in the morning by the couple living downstairs doing the dance with no pants. And uh... but we live there. See, there's a lot of my jokes. I was hoping you wouldn't know what I was talking about, but. <sighs> I'm going to get myself a new church. All right. So, all right, back to the story. And sure enough, and sure enough, God said previously, and sure enough, God said previously, and sure enough, see, we've got to live with an, with an urgency and an assurance. Not an assurance that breathes to complacency, not an urgency that forgets God's in the midst of this, but an urgency and an assurance. We need chairs. We need to place an order in seven days, but we have an assurance that God's going to do that. But guess what? He's going to do it through us. So there's an urgency that we've got to pray and give, but we've got to pray and give, and God's going to bring the miracle. Sure enough, ravens brought his miracles, uh, meals, both breakfast and supper. He drank from the brook. Brilliant. God said to Elijah, go from here to there. He went from here to there. God said, when you get there, I'm going to get you a secret stream. And while there's a drought in the rest of the land, you're going to have water. And not only water, I'm going to organize for some birds to do some home delivery, breakfast and lunch. You can just leave your, your, your menu on the door, like room service, and it'll magically appear. Fantastic. And sure enough, God did exactly what he promised he would do in response to Elijah's obedience by 
going from here to there, full stop. Eventually, the brook dried up because of the drought. Not every drought comes from the devil. But you can read this, and I think it's fair enough to first say, well, hang on a second. Elijah did exactly what God called him to do. He went from here to there. God came through for a season, but now God's even going to turn the tap off upstream from Elijah, and he's going to be experiencing the circumstances of the drought, just like the disobedient Israelites. What's that all about? Why would God shut down the stream when Elijah had been obedient up to that point? Well, here's here's the takeaway. Sometimes God leads us by what he provides, the promise of provision, the provision that's going to be on the far side of our obedience. We like that bit, don't we? There's a pot of gold waiting for us at the end of the rainbow. Woo! Sometimes God leads us by what he withholds because he wants us to get moving again. Because the risk is while we're living large by the secret stream, getting home delivered meals, we can start relying on the stream and the ravens, thinking somehow the stream is the provider, somehow the ravens are the provider, and God goes, yeah, no. I'm going to need you to get moving again. So I'm going to shut off the stream. I'm going to take away the ravens because I want you to never forget that the stream's not the source of your provision and nor are the ravens, but I am. There's always a next stretch. Elijah's just come through a stretch. God did what he said. Next stretch. No final stretch. These chairs, the stacks chairs, it's the next stretch. Telling our team members this morning, in, in, in a few years' time, as we continue to grow, reach more people, we will likely demolish these facilities and build some custom-built new facilities. By that stage, do the math, that'll be several millions of dollars. But that's not tomorrow. That's not the next stretch. But the stretch that we do next prepares us for the stretch after that, and prepares us for the stretch after that. The next stretch isn't a punishment. The next stretch is actually a a, a reward, a sign that we were obedient with the previous stretch, that we didn't go halfway there, that we went all the way there. God let us catch our breath, sit by the brook, get some some, some, uh, energy back in, stage a celebration. We preached about that a couple of weeks ago. And then the next stretch, the next stretch comes built on the previous stretch. And in two years' time, and three years' time, and five years' time, and ten years' time, there's going to be stretches and stretches and stretches, one after another, after another, after another. And in fact, so much so that we're going to be able to say, oh yeah, five years ago, we, these chairs, we, we, we stretched and we bought those chairs for $10,323.87. But in five years' time, that's going to seem like, huh, what? That's nothing. Because we keep stretching, 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 stretching. 
Not every drought comes from the devil. Not every season of stretching comes from the devil. By the way, with the chairs thing, the bit that Louis left out uh, uh, is you give just right building the future, whatever it is you give through, online or envelopes, or just building the future. So we'll know that's for the chairs. You want me to write chairs? We'll use it for the chairs. Uh, it's next. But just write building the future and bam, away we go. Place our order Monday week. The story continues. Then God spoke to Elijah. Get up and go to Zarephath in Sidon and live there. I knew there. See, because Elijah's there had now become here. So God once again called him from here, which was once there, to there, which is no longer here. See, you understand cones and dance with no pants, but you can't follow this little here and there thing. Gee, willikers. I know some of you. Some of you are very bright. I understand that. And I've instructed a woman who lives there, a widow, to feed you. Full stop. And this is another thing that can really mess us around. God didn't give much detail. Just he told him where, and he told him a widow would feed you something. What if he was gluten intolerant and all she had was some homemade sourdough bread? What if he didn't, didn't, wasn't a drinker and all she had was some homemade wine? Well, God, I, I can't do that. I don't do gluten. What if all she had was some cheese? Oh, I'm lactose intolerant. God, I need to know these things. I need to know. I need to know, you know, surely there's just not one widow there. Uh, so which widow? What's her name? What's her address? How will I know when I find her? Right? Oh, yeah, I know none of you ask detailed questions from God before you obey him. We do. Elijah didn't. Because what precedes how? God first asks for our obedience. So, true to form, Elijah got up, no questions asked, and went there. As he came to the entrance of the village, he met a woman, a widow, gathering firewood. Hmm, could this be the one? Well, he asked her, please, lady, would you bring me a little water in a jug? I need a drink. And as he went to get it, he called out, oh yeah, and while you're at it, will you bring me some to eat? Now, look, Stop. I get it. Okay. This sounds very sexist. All right. It is very sexist. In that culture, that was normal. But we read this today, and, 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 and I know you ladies are thinking, if Elijah walks up to me when I go out of this place, I'll be saying to him, hey, mate, what's wrong with you? Legs broken. Okay. The Bible was written in a very sexist, male-dominated culture. All right. I ain't going to be asking you for a drink or something to eat. But Elijah did. Don't write him off. Still something to learn from him. Get your own flipping. She said, I swear, as surely as your God lives. It doesn't really translate properly that. But we would say, I swear to God. She, you know, he's like, lady, something to eat, something to drink. Make it snappy. He wasn't even going to pay her. 
And she says to him, listen, pal, I swear to God, I don't have so much as a biscuit. I don't care if you're gluten intolerant. I don't even have anything with gluten in it. I have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a bottle. You found me scratching together just enough firewood to make a last meal for my son and me. And after we eat it, we'll die. Hey, like them apples. Still want something? You realize what you're doing? We ain't got enough for ourselves. You, you want me to get you some nerve? Oh, yeah? You reckon that was nerve? Check this bit. Well, I just said to her, don't worry about a thing, lady. Go ahead and do what I've said. First, make a small biscuit for me. She didn't even have a biscuit. Make one for me. Bring it here. And then go ahead and make one for what's left, if anything, for you and your son. But here's the thing. So we could read that and think that Elijah's request was selfish. But it's not. Because Elijah was there expecting that the same God that provided for him would somehow provide through him. That the same God that caused the brook to flow for him would cause the oil to flow for her. This wasn't a selfish request. This was a request for her to obey and that if she was to obey, her provision is found on the far side of her obedience. It's a principle that Jesus talked about. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be given to you. And in Western society, we don't do that real well. We do the other, we seek all the other things that we want added to us, and if we've got some time left over, we give it to God. If we've got some money left over, we give it to God. And this lady could have said, screw you, buddy. I'm going to go home and make that biscuit like I planned. And you can find someone else to get your free meal from. So she was at a hinge point herself. Do I obey? She didn't know who this guy was. The hinge point for this lady of whether God would make the oil flow for her like he made the brook flow for Elijah was her obedience. That was the hinge point. Well, I'm glad to say this is how things went. This is the word of God of Israel. The jar of flour will not run out and the bottle of oil will not become empty before God sends rain on the land and ends this drought. Hinge point. And she went right off and did it did just as Elijah asked. No questions. How's this going to happen? Where's the flower going to come from? What proceeds how? And it turned out, as he said, daily food for her and her family. The jar of meal didn't run out and the bottle of oil didn't become empty. God's promise fulfilled to the letter exactly as Elijah had delivered it. When we talk about being part of a church, when we talk about being a church that unchurched people love to attend, when we talk about investing and inviting, the starting point can be and often should be, and it's totally cool for it to be about what 
our unchurched friends start off getting. Meeting God, learning about his best for their life, his promises, experiencing healing, relationship restoration, forgiveness, provision. Great starting point. We can, we can, we can sell that because God's faithful to do all of those things. Then there's a point in our journey as we mature. In fact, it's even a sign that we're maturing when we realize that God's ultimate goal isn't just to get stuff to us, but it's to get stuff through us. It's a maturing point and it's a sign of our maturity when we start to move from consumer to contributor. When we don't just pray prayers to God, bless me financially. We pray prayers to God, how can you use me to bless others financially? When we stop just, just we don't stop praying them, but stop just praying the prayers. God, uh, restore my relationship with A, B, or C and start praying prayers. God, how can I be used to help other people restore their relationships? Experiencing the forgiveness that you've given me, experiencing the restoration that you've been able to do in my life. How can you use me to do that in other people's lives? And we move from consumer to contributor. It's a sign that we're maturing when we make that move. From being served to serving. Oh, I'm flipping sure hope the coffee is good this morning. To, man, I really think it's time for me to join our host team and start serving the coffee. And by the way, can I just say, don't think anything escapes my attention around here. Last Sunday, Jess Everson was platform leading. And it's been reported to me that when she was reading through the tasting notes of our coffee of the day, she then went on to say, but it's probably just going to taste like coffee. You will notice Jess Everson was not up on this platform this morning and may never be again. I'm always listening, Jess. I'm always listening. Moving from consumer to contributor. And, and one, of the, one of the lies that we can believe is that if I move from consumer to contributor, the brook's going to stop flowing in my life. The oil's going to stop flowing in my life. And, and I'm going to run dry. And okay, it's great that I'm, you know, but, but what, what about me, God? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you as well. Here's the principle, final thought. Chris, throw that up. If God can get it through you, He'll always get it to you. If you were a farmer, you'd know this. You, God says He gives seed to the sower, not seed to the hoarder, because seeds aren't of any value if they're not sown. Used, put in the ground. So God, if, you build, if we build a reputation with God that we're a sower, we're a contributor, stuff's going to get through us, then God says, hey, 
I know who I'm going to get stuff to. It's the person that I know I'm going to be able to get stuff through. Yeah, we're meant to be a vessel. Absolutely. Not a bucket, though. A flipping pipe. And a pipe that's continuing to be stretched with more capacity for God to get stuff to and ultimately through. Thus endeth the stretch marks. No, they don't. Only just beginning. If you think you got some stretch marks now, people. It's a very awkward metaphor, I understand. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, and then I'm going to preview next series we're launching next week. It's a question we ask most Sundays. Try to ask it every Sunday. It's a question of whether you're following Jesus. I talked before when I started preaching about this the, the a mentality that existed some decades ago, and I wasn't trying to characterize people or put them down, but there's a mentality that can easily creep in where we think that God just wants us to go to church so he doesn't get upset. And that's uh, not what God calls us to. He, he calls us to follow him. Jesus didn't say, just come believe in me. He said, come follow me. And that's a question we ask basically every Sunday, is whether you have made your decision to follow him. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to, to make that decision right now. And I encourage you to say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. And so for those of you that are ready to make that yes decision this morning, I just want you in a moment just to slip your hand up. And really, not slipping your hand up to me, you slip your hand up to God. Say, yep, yeah, I'm in. I'm going to follow you from today. So real quickly, real quickly right now, those of you that this is your opportunity, you've never said yes to following Jesus, but you know today's your day. How about you just quickly slip your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. And we're going to quickly pray. Awesome. Well done. Who else? Okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to say some, some words, short sentences. I know you're smart. Short sentences, and I want you to say this after me, especially that person that lifted their hand. But say this, even though many of you have prayed this prayer before, and, and, and in some cases more than once, as your recommitment, uh, but also as a real sign of supporting the person that put their hand up this morning. Say these words. Dear Jesus, today I decide to follow you. I thank you for your forgiveness, for your provision of a brand new start, of life everlasting found only in you. I commit to follow you from this day, for the rest of my life, I'm going all in, no halfway. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. How about we celebrate that person that put their hand up this morning?